The Toby Gribbon Show. Highlights. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Michael Fenton Stevens is an actor and comedian best known for being a founding member of the Heebie-Jeebies and the voice behind the spitting image 1986 number one hit, The Chicken Song. He also starred in KYTV, its Radio 4 predecessor, Radioactive, and Benidorm as Sir Henry since Series 4, and as an anchor on Third and Bird on CBeebies. And Michael is on the line with us here. And I understand it's been quite the exciting day for you. It's been, uh, well, I wouldn't call it exciting. <laughs> trying more than exciting, yes. I've been all over the place. I had to go to London to try and pretend uh, to some Spanish people that I would be a good Father Christmas. Oh. Which, you know, and it's very difficult because as I was about to go in for the audition, uh, a man came out of the audition, uh, and I think he was the real Father Christmas. <laughs> he was about six foot tall, he was bald, he had rosy red cheeks, a great big white beard, and a very large belly that wobbled as he laughed. And I thought to myself, now hang on a minute, somebody's playing a trick on me here. Yeah. Uh, but maybe they don't want that, you know. I mean, it depends, how do you see Father Christmas? I see him exactly as this man looked, but they may not want that. <laughs> Is this for something that would be going out in Spain then, if you do get the Role. Yeah, so I, th- I think that actually uh, people forget that I've done lots of adverts for Spain over the years. I was once um, queuing up at the passport control in Barcelona, mm-hmm. and the passport man looked at my photograph, and then he looked at me, and then he got out of his booth and he went across to the other booth, and he spoke to the man, and they both came a lot across. And they looked at my passport and they looked at, by this time, I cold sweat running down the back of my, you know, I thought, oh my God, I'm going to be dragged off to some Spanish jail. What have I done? And he leant over and he said to me, you teach me to speak English. And I said, what now? And he said, no, no, you, you teach me. You fund the television. You teach me how to speak English. And I thought, oh yes, yes, I did. Yes. Yes, that's right. Yes. And a long time ago, I did a whole series of things for Spanish television where basically I played all the bits where you have an Englishman talking very slowly, like, can I have a stamp, please? All right. That sort of thing. And I played that that person in all these little sketches. Uh, Strangely enough, with, um, uh, with John Chalice who's also in Only Fools and Horses we were in together. So he was in it. And Benidorm. And we did Benidorm together. What a great time <laughs> we had doing that. They're just about to do the Benidorm Benicon, I think it's called, where where everybody, well, you know, 
Steve Pemberton uh, is going to go there, turn up there, and uh, people are going to pay a lot of money to go and hear them talk about being in Benidorm, which is, you know, <laughs> it's quite good fun. I, unfortunately, I can't go, and uh, I'm not sure that they would necessarily want me to because <laughs> I'm a bit disruptive. But, <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've mainly played not main characters over the years. No. Was that a choice that you did to play small roles, or is that just how it's ended up being? No, no, I don't think any actor chooses to play those <laughs> roles. What happens is that, um, no, I, I, I've had I've had opportunities have come my way over, over my career to play larger roles, but mm-hmm. actually I think that very early on, because I never quite played the same person twice, I've not, I'm not a type, as it yeah. were. Uh, although I, I've, I've seemed to have fallen into the type of being as I am now, a sort of older posh bloke, but I'm not that at all. That's all. Of, it's all a front, completely. Mm-hmm. I'm not a, a, a posh bloke. I am old, but I'm not a posh <laughs> bloke. I come from very working class background. I come from uh, my family are, were all dockers in the southeast of London. So actually. Becoming an actor at all was an unusual thing to do. And I don't know, maybe I would have been more successful if I'd stuck with my original accent, you know, because now I could have been in EastEnders for the last 20 years. But but I didn't. I lost it. I went to university and I deliberately studied the people around me who'd all been to public school and that sort of thing and thought, okay, I'll sort of mimic them. And that's what I've done. And and I've always thought that if you wanted to be a classical actor, which I did when I first started, I wanted to be a proper theatre actor because everybody dreams of that being what an actor is, you know. So when you're thinking, I want to be an actor, you dream of being in theatre companies and playing Shakespeare and touring the world. But in fact, that's, that's hardly anything to do with my career. I've done very little of that. I've had, you know, the occasional lovely job like that, that but I'm, I'm sort of glad, really. I don't think I could have spent my entire life on the road. Yeah. Of course, one of the things you're best known for is the 1986 number one hit, The Chicken Song. I am if people keep going on about it. <laughs> These days, it's a classic song that we is all it? know and love. But Do back you? then, did you realise it was going to be so big? <laughs> no, not at all. No, in fact, uh, we we recorded it as part of a session for Spitting Image where we recorded about six or seven songs, I think. We spent a day in the studio recording songs for the series, songs that had already been written. Now, occasionally there would be songs that were written specifically for a week and we would come in and record them and they would go up that week. But generally, you know, the comedy songs, you'd they would be written, we would record them at the beginning of the series. And uh, so we spent a day doing that. And one of them was this song, The Chicken Song, which was a sort of a, a parody of Agadoo by Black Lakes, which was a hit at the time. And it's just a sort of a nonsense song. It just, it, it's sort of a holiday party song. Everybody was dancing to it, but it was just stupid. <laughs> and so we, we sort of, we, that's the idea of it. The idea is, is that, you know, the lyrics are rubbish. They don't make any sense. They're stupid. The tune just is incredibly repetitive, but with a key change constantly happening. <laughs> and that's all it is. It's a, it was a joke. So, um, so we recorded it for the programme and thought it was very good fun. At the time, you know, we were all standing around. There were singers there who sung it. And um, Philip Pope said, no, you sing it, Mike. He said, you have a go at it, Mike. You have a go. Because he thought it was in my range and also wanted a sort of a Mancunian accent. He knew I could sing with different accents and voices. And he said, so sing it like them. So there were much better singers than me who were hired to do Spinning Image, but generally they would be they would be there to, to make it sound good. Yeah. The people like me were hired because we could do silly voices. 
So, uh, you know, all the lead songs that I sang on in Spitting Image are all sort of just silly little characters. There's a song called Condom, where I played a condom, uh, <laughs> you know, which uh, you died to remember. I think my voice is a bit like that. <laughs> I just think condom, got to be a condom. Uh, 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 anyway, uh, so, yes, we did this thing, and then they said, after a few months... Uh, we're going to release it as a single. And we said, okay, thinking, yeah, that won't work. <laughs> and uh, and amazingly, uh, they said, would you like either 400% of your original fee? So our original fee for the day's session would have been about £300, I think, mm. in those days. And uh, uh, so, you know, would have been a grand. We could have taken that and said, thank you very much, and walked away. Or they said, you can have a very, very small percentage of the of the sales so everybody else who was on it were all sort of experienced session singers and they knew the best thing was that if you were offered money take it mm. so they all said no we'll take the fee so they all took this fee and ever since when i've seen these people they shout and scream at me because i didn't take a fee <laughs> i took a very full i took this percentage which turned out their thousand pounds i got um yeah, I think I've got about twenty-five. Ooh, and counting? Yeah, yeah, but it's quite a good, <laughs> quite a good thing to do. In you know, it was a lot of money. That's a lot of money in those days. You could buy a house with twenty-five grand <laughs> yeah. in those days. So yeah. And I can't help but notice there is what looks like a gold disc from Australia in the background. Oh my word! Yeah, there is from Australia. Is that for the chicken song, or is that for another thing? No, that was for uh, the Eebie-Jeebies. Oh. We would we we were uh, I was in a parody pop band with Philip Popeyes, who did, was the musical director of Spitting Image, who was the real genius behind it all, who could do all the voices and wrote all the music and everything. And I just sang on it. But we did originally a parody of the Bee Gees, a song called Meaningless Songs in Very High Voices. Yes. And it was very funny. And it still is very funny. I have to say to this day, we still occasionally will perform it. Uh, we can just about reach the notes now. Yeah. And uh, and it it still it works a, a dream. It's one of the funniest songs ever written, I would argue. Yes, because it never fails to make people laugh hysterically. Yeah, and so uh, yeah, so that was right at the start of my career. That in a way is the thing that launched me into being an actor, because I went to um, Edinburgh with a, a number of shows uh, as a student, and then they said, "Do you want to be in the in the review, which is the late night review?" And I didn't really know what it was, yeah. and I said, "Yeah, well, it." just what sketches and things so they said yeah i said yeah yeah i can do that so then angus steaton who was in it said to me can you sing and i said i can and he said can you sing in falsetto and i said i can he said great right you're in so um we did this Bee Gees parody and originally i think when we first did the show we did it about halfway through the show but it had such an enormous effect yeah. on the audience that we very quickly moved it to the final number of the show to finish <laughs> the show and you could not get tickets to see the show we were doing wow. because everybody in Edinburgh wanted to see this song. And <laughs> after a week of doing it, somebody offered us a record deal. We <laughs> record it. And then, so, then Jimmy Mulville, who owns and runs Hattrick Productions, uh, was a radio producer at the time. And he came and said, would you like to do a radio show for, for the BBC? I think all entirely based on the fact that we had this song. <laughs> and we said, yeah, great. So by the end of Edinburgh, I was signed up for a BBC, tele BBC radio series, 
which turned out to be Radioactive, which we did seven of and then turned into KYTV. So we did three television series, all from that Edinburgh show. And uh, we were we were signed up to record an album, which is what that gold disc behind me is is from. Yeah. We then released it. It did very well here. We were number two in the London charts for a long, long time. We never quite got to number one because uh, I think Elvis Presley had just died and his his record was number one. But we got to number two for ages, weeks and weeks. And then we released it and we released it in Australia because we did a tour of Australia doing sort of radioactive sketch things. And and again, it, it went to number one in Australia and then the album did. And so I have a gold disc. Very exciting. So I've had two number ones, one in Australia and one in England for two different songs. Yeah. Yes. Anybody would think that, you know, that's, that's almost as successful as David Bowie was as far as number ones are concerned. He didn't have many. Yeah. And Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder. Well, I think he had a few. Yeah, he didn't, actually he didn't. It's amazing the list of people who've had very few number ones. And I'm, I always find it very embarrassing to realise that actually I probably have as many number ones as, I don't know, Spandau Ballet. Yeah. You know, it's weird. <laughs> Do you think that if you'd have started out today, you would have had all those opportunities happen in a chain reaction like that? I don't know. I'm, I, I'm not sure it would have been as easy. I don't think people could have just walked up to you and said, would you like to do a radio series? Yeah. They certainly couldn't have done that. But um, maybe, you know, record an album. That might have, might have happened. I, I think that those opportunities came along constantly all the time at that period. It was a very it was an exciting time because, yeah. you know, anybody could have an idea and then they just go to someone and they say, okay, do it. You know, uh, not the line of got news with Rowan Atkinson and all, you know, that crowd yeah. uh, produced by John Lloyd. He basically was working as a radio producer and he, he went to the BBC and said, I'd like to do a sketch show with some young people. And they said, okay. And that was it. They never came back, you know, just get on with it. And yeah. he always says it's extraordinary that they just left him alone. And it became a huge television hit in the early um, 80s. Huge, absolutely enormous television hit, made millions and millions of pounds for, for the BBC. And it was all because they, in a way, they just let somebody who was talented put together a bunch of people who were talented and put out something that, that they, as people who ran the station, would never have thought of. Because, you know, and that's a lesson to anybody of my age is that the best thing to do with young people is to get out of the way. I think the thing I personally know you best for is being in Benidorm, which must have been absolute fun to film. <laughs> it was the filming was always quite hard work. Yeah. Uh, the actual filming, because you've got to remember that a lot of it was done in blazing sunshine in Spain yeah. and also in Benidorm itself. So quite often surrounded by hordes of tourists who all wanted to have a photograph taken mm. with people, all wanted people to sign stuff. So it made it very difficult. It's also, you know, comically, it's quite a difficult show to do because it seems very broad. It seems very sort of uh, seaside postcardy humour. Yeah in places but it's not all the time sometimes it's re it's got real heart sometimes it's got real drama to it <laughs> and so you have to be aware of all the detail in the in each scene that you do also it's played at pace you know so you've got to really know your lines when you get there and you to, in order to do it it's got to be you've got to be right on top of it uh, so all those things made that very hard. But the thing that made it most hard was the fact that we nearly always were recording uh, with an enormous hangover. <laughs> 
because you just can't spend your time in Benidorm without being drawn into the world that is Benidorm. Yeah. Now, that may just fit, you know, for some of us that was going out to dinner. That was always the intention. We'd, yeah. we'd just go out to dinner. We're, actually, we're, we finished filming, so we'll, we'll go down to the seafront. There's a lovely bar there. We'll sit there in the sunshine, have a couple of gin and tonics, have some dinner, and then go back and learn our lines for tomorrow and go to sleep. Yeah. Uh, you know, jump forward to four o'clock in the morning with a drunken, <laughs> drunken bunch of people in a in a karaoke bar somewhere, <laughs> singing "I Will Survive." You know, it's um, it was brilliant fun, and some brilliant people. I mean, I I, I really really love everybody who was on it. We had a, just yeah. the most fantastic time. They were delightful to be with, very funny, very friendly, incredibly friendly show. But I can't remember people falling out at all. Uh, we all we we laughed at each other a lot. We laughed all day long, and then we went out and had the most fantastic time. Yeah. It was just a perfect job. I wish that I'd been in every single scene in every single episode. <laughs> I would have loved it. And how long were you out there for? Because I think they filmed the show overall for like half the year. Were yeah. you there the whole time? No, if you were one of the main characters, so if you were in the hotel or you were one of the the holiday makers, the, you know, the families that were there then you were there the whole time. So they would be there for sort of five months. Yeah. But I would come in for a month and film. As, so each episode would take would take a couple of weeks. So if you were in three episodes, that would su- supposedly be six weeks that you would have to be there. But generally, they would bring you there, uh, you know, four or five days before the thing started. And then you'd stay on for a little bit afterwards. Yeah. So, so I would always eke it out as much as possible because it was so much fun. And it, it also, they weren't necessarily filming the things at the same time. So they weren't just doing one episode. In order to schedule it, you might have scenes from other episodes going on. So you would be around. So you know, I would be there probably for a couple of months, which is a long time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And brilliant fun. Yeah. And also, because I'm a character that, that came in and out and had you know a few scenes in, in episodes... I'd have days and days where I could just, I could, you know, hire a car, go off around Spain, yeah. I'd, you know, have lunches out, go for long walks. My, yeah. fam- my wife came over, just, you know, we had a, a, it was the most perfect job. Really brilliant. Yeah. And it's such a shame that it's over now. It lasted 10 years and it was still as funny as ever. If it was still going today, I think it'd still be going strong, wouldn't it? I think it would. I mean, I think that Darren, who writes it, would probably say that he'd be dead by now because it was very, <laughs> very exhausting to write it all. And then he produced a lot of it as well. And then in the end, he was actually directing some of it. Yeah. So his involvement in it was in, was really intense. So it was very hard work for him. He would spend, you know, seven months writing the thing, getting it ready to do it, and then five months filming it, and then he'd be straight back into writing the next one. So I think when it finally uh, sort of came to an end, well, I'm sure he would have continued, given the opportunity. And he's, um, you know, and, and we all miss doing it enormously. So it would be lovely to do it, but he's they've got... Uh, Benny Con is going on in about two weeks' time, Ooh. and uh, you know, and some of the some of the characters from very early on in it, actually the first three series, I think, you know, so they're they're going to be over there. Yeah, I think it's quite a good time of year to go to Benidorm. Actually, I'd quite it like is, to be yeah. there right now. Yeah, no, this is a good time. This is when the weather's nice. You know, it's just it's warm, but it won't be uh, won't be too hot. And you've got to remember that sometimes people were filming. We would we filmed once on this island doing um, John Chalice and and Sherry Houston's wedding. Yeah, which uh, it, it was a very funny but incredibly grueling time because it was baking hot. It was getting close to forty degrees, and we were under just this bare rock, surrounded <laughs> by eagles. Uh, no, no eagles, seagulls, hundreds and hundreds of seagulls that were <laughs> nesting on this island. So every time we moved, they thought we were threatening them. So they yeah. would dive bomb us and attack. Yes, but uh, it's a great that Tony Hadley was in that episode and he was, oh, yeah. it was brilliant <laughs> fun, great. And I've known Tony from way, way back. I mean, right from that thing when I was doing the radio series, the BBC, when I was a very young man. And he had just started becoming famous with Spandau Ballet, but he, was, he went out with one of the uh, secretaries from the BBC. So he was often around and we would go drinking together. And he was as much fun and as, as absolutely normal as, as he was then. I mean, yeah. great fun. You know, Shane Ritchie, we, it came over, we did a, a number of things together. I, I got on fantastic well with Shane Ritchie. He's just the most brilliant uh, bubble of life. He just bursts life all the time. Yes. And has no, no qualms at all about um, being in the public and being approached by the public. I thought it was fantastic. I had a very strange night going through Benidorm, with uh, Shane Ritchie and Johnny Vegas, with the two of them competing each other, competing <laughs> with each other to see who could get the biggest crowd at the karaoke bar. So we went from, <laughs> from bar to bar to bar, and we were followed the whole time by a crowd of about 500 drunken people. Just And every time we went into a bar, the man who ran the bar would think to himself, <laughs> oh, my God, 
and he'd sell 500 drinks. And then we'd all they'd mm. sing a couple of songs, we'd drink, and we'd move on. It was a brilliant night. <laughs> Did you ever go around Benidorm kind of still in character, like Shane still in his fake tan and the wig and everything? Shane is he's extraordinary when he does this. He doesn't mind at all people recognising him. You know, some mm. actors, when they become famous, they sort of avoid it or they try to disguise themselves. You could, Johnny Vegas, for example, can't disguise himself. He's very obvious who he is, yeah. uh, you know. And uh, but I know Shane. When he first arrived, we were staying in the same hotel, and he, you know, I met him beforehand, and he said, "Oh, Mike, great! Well, come on, you can show me around." And I said, "Okay." I, he said, "Should we go for a swim?" And I said, "Where do you want to go?" There's a place that's got a pool over there. And he said, no, in the hotel pool. <laughs> and I said, it's, it's, it's rammed. It's rammed full of people who are staying here. He said, yeah, I'll be all right. <laughs> well, we went out and he spent about four hours just having photographs taken with people, calling people's mums on their phone. Hello, darling. All right. Yeah, yeah. Shane Ritchie. Hello. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. It is. It is me. Selfie Moon. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it was absolutely brilliant. And I sat and watched him do it and just occasionally bought him a drink to keep him going. <laughs> And he loved it. He loved it, and everybody loved him. He was a he's a he's a fabulous man. Sounds like there's a little bit of Sammy Valentino in him. A little bit, yeah. I think <laughs> yeah. that's probably why he was why he was given the job. You know, <laughs> yeah. I know that Tim Healy with the playing his character, that sort of a transvestite. Yeah. Um, that was Tim's suggestion. Yeah, he met he met Darren at a party and said to him, you know, why can't I be in your show? I'd love to be in your show. And Darren said, well, you know, think of a character. And he said, well, you know, like I could be uh, like, you know, like a transvestite. <laughs> Thought he was in the room. <laughs> oh yeah, it's amazing. And he said, he said, uh, he said, that's a good idea. And <laughs> Tim said, I, I went away from this party drunk, not thinking about it. Next day, I got a phone call from my agent saying, would you like to be in Benidorm? <laughs> Now, you've launched your own podcast called My Time Capsule. Explain the format of it. Well, I think it's quite simple. It's basically um, a podcast where I ask people to think of five things from any time in their life that they wish they had in a time capsule so they could revisit them or keep them safe. So they can be anything. They can be ephemeral things. They can be seemingly insignificant things like a, an old piece of clothing or a hat or a, you know, a, Stephen Fry chose the smell of his granddad's pipe. Mm. You know, it's those sort of things, things that take you right back to a moment in your life that you that you treasure and you'd like to revisit. And then we talk about those things and why they've chosen them. So they choose four things that they that they cherish that like that, that they want to put in there because they love them. And they remind them of times and places or people or things that they've loved. And one thing that they want to put in there because they'd like to forget it. <laughs> they want to put it in there and bury it and never think about it again. And quite, it's quite interesting. And uh, when I started it, I thought, well, that's a simple idea. It's a bit like Desert Island Discs, but it's about things rather yeah. than music. I know, so it's a bit of a cheat, really, but uh, <laughs> I don't mind. I don't mind cheating, and people don't seem to mind. They treat it very differently from Desert Island Discs, and I've had the most extraordinary responses from people. Yeah, You would think that people would just be sort of lighthearted about it, but no. Occasionally, people have been – it's become really emotional. It's not what I expected at all, and and it's turned out to be incredibly revealing. And I'm just struggling myself to think of what my things would be, so I take it your guests probably have to spend a lot of time before they come on thinking about what they're going to pick. Some of them do. Some of them 
they sit down. Some say I've I've been racking my brain for days and days and trying writing lists and you know <laughs> narrowing it down. But I I generally say to people, well, go with go with the thing that first comes in your head because that's almost certainly the thing, mm. you know. But other people have said, do you know, I haven't had time to think about this, Mike. I've been very busy because I do tend to talk to some quite famous people. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, it's kind that they're going to come on and do it with me. But, I you know, I'd be unfair if I expected them also to do hours of homework. <laughs> so they'll come on to the, the meeting, the Zoom meeting, generally like this we do it, most of them, occasionally face-to-face, but mostly this way. And they, they'll they say, I, I haven't really had a thought. Talk, talk me through it again, Mike. What do I do? And I say, well, it's five things from your life, four you love and one you hate. And they go, okay. Okay, um, so anything? Can it be? Can it be like a place or a, anything at all? They go, okay. Um, I had a teacher, and then off they go. Yeah, and it's whatever comes into their mind, and then one thing will tend to lead them to another. And by the end, they're going, oh, oh, no, I should have put that in. Oh, well, never mind. And then it's quite interesting to hear the things that actually people that didn't come to mind, you know, so some of the things that that you've thought of but rejected. Do you have to take their first answer then if they've said four things and then have a fifth one? I don't have any real rules to it. (laughs) You know, I'm not a stickler for rules in these situations. Sometimes people will say, oh, no, I really, oh, no, I really want to put that in, which I can't think which one to reject. And I say, okay, well, I don't care. Let's make it six then <laughs> i don't mind what I, the the means it's a means for having an interesting chat with people about things that they wouldn't normally talk about and about areas or times in their life that wouldn't normally come up in, a, in an interview in a chat like this so that's what i'm aiming for for example john lloyd who i mentioned earlier i went to see him at the qi offices and we sat in a recording studio, which was very nice. And I briefed him on it and he talked about it. And he said, yeah, no, I've got it. Okay, yeah, five things. Okay, right. Um, shall we start? And I said, yeah. I said, you know, it's not formal. We'll just ramble into it, as it were. We'll just, we just drifted into conversation. And we did. And we talked for an hour and 15 minutes. And at the end of it, I said, John, thank you. That was really interesting. And we hadn't talked at all about things we were going to put in a time gap, not once. <laughs> and I and I just thought, well, there's no point in forcing him down this road because everything he's saying is really fascinating, yeah, and it really and really revealing. And so we were doing what I hoped, you know, the system would do, but we didn't need it. But generally, people do, and and it's it's very interesting because you end up talking about their childhood and their parents and uh, you know their schools those sort of things yeah that you wouldn't talk to people you talk to people about what's the film you just made or what's the latest book you've written mm. so yeah it was um it was very interesting it has been i've really enjoyed doing it and i i do a lot of them you know i've done nearly 250 episodes now wow. with all sorts of people and it's i've jumped from sportsman like linford christie i've interviewed uh to to producers writers directors Mostly actors, lots of stand-up comedians, people I've known for a long time, and people I've only just met or in meeting for the first time like we are on Zoom. And yet the intimacy that you get with somebody is, is immediate. It's really interesting. Yeah. Now, what's coming up for you, both in terms of the podcast, the people coming up, and also in terms of maybe acting things that are about to come out? Yeah, I've done some really nice things in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Strangely enough, I seem to have drifted. I don't know how this has happened. I seem to suddenly be regarded as a serious actor. <laughs> what's, what's going on? Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. Have they not seen my other work? You know? So I've been doing some really, 
lovely stuff. I was in uh, Slow Horses, which is a thing. The great problem with television these days is that you can talk about things. Slow Horses is an absolutely massive television program. But most people in this country wouldn't have seen it because I think it's on Apple, yeah. Apple TV. And therefore, why would you see it unless you are, you know, we don't have many, don't, if you, you know, it's a lot of money if you're going to go to Apple and Disney and Netflix yeah. and Prime and everything, all the different things you can go to. And I've got a television series coming up on, on Netflix, which I think a lot of people do subscribe to. So that's uh, called Hapless. It's a very, very funny, very dark comedy. And so I'm looking forward to that coming out, which I do with Tim Downey, who's um, a, a brilliant comic actor. So that's been great fun. And also, I'm in a, a thing that Armando Iannucci produces, who does all the Adam Partridge uh, shows. And he's a, one, of the, one of our great producers. But he um, yeah, was directed by David Schneider as well, who's also really lovely. And it's got Hugh Laurie in it and uh, lots of American stars, Josh Gad, Rebecca Front, and all sorts wow. of people like that. It's, uh, it's called Avenue 5. And, uh, oh, yeah. and it, it, it's, it's on in America at the moment. If you're in, if anybody listens and they're in America, it's on HBO. But it'll be on here soon. But again, I think it'll probably be on something like I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be on. <laughs> Who knows? I'll probably never see it because because yeah. I'm still. I see, is it on BBC One? Is it on BBC? I might turn to BBC Two, but I'm not going much further than that. Yes. You know, I, yes. I, I don't know what the other buttons do. You know, that's almost my television viewing. <laughs> well, where are we able to keep up to date with you and follow you on social media and places like that? I'm more active on Twitter than anything else, but we'll see what happens in the new Musk era and Ooh. whether we're all, we'll see what happens to Twitter. It may become a place where we don't want to be, you know, but, um, but I think you can create your own little bubbles, can't you, in, in these places. You can create the world that you want to, want to be in on social media. And so if you don't like the vitriol that could be sprayed at people on Twitter, then get rid of it, then block it and throw it away, I say. And by us all doing that thing of editing, we may well end up in our own little bubbles and not find out what anybody else is saying. But I think hopefully the people who are talking bollocks, to be frank, will will become quieter and quieter. Fewer and fewer people will hear them. They'll live in their own little world of vitriol and, yeah. and the rest of us can just ignore them and get on with being pleasant. And actually, I find that Twitter, amazingly, although quite a number of people I've uh, had on the podcast have chosen Twitter as a thing to put in to forget and never, <laughs> never think of again. But I find it quite a pleasant world. I, I very, very rarely have anything on it that I go... And if, if I do, I have something that I find objectionable. I say to people, well, go easy, go easy, no need for that. And usually people then will say, yeah, sorry, I got a bit carried away. I've done the same thing. I've apologised to people. I'm so sorry, I, I got a bit carried away. Yeah. And that's fine, isn't it? Yeah, for some completely unknown reason, you don't seem to have a blue tick yet. But would you pay for one for $8 a month? <laughs> no, I'm not really interested in a blue tick either, actually. I think that it's a strange thing, isn't it, that... that Supposedly, because, I mean, the idea of a blue tick is that it verifies that you are who you say you are. Yeah. Well, I think it's fairly obvious that I'm who I say I am because <laughs> you just have to look at the tweets and they'll be from me about things that I would know about. And so I don't think I need a blue tick to verify that it's me. <laughs> and 
And I don't think there are many other people who would impersonate me and pretend to be me, so I'm not worried about that being the case. I can understand if you're extremely famous that people will, you know, will just find something that looks like you and then they'll start tweeting about you as if it's you, you know, but generally you can tell if it's the real person by how many followers they've got. Yes. Now, I'm not sure that a blue tick is, is necessary at all, but I, I certainly won't be paying for it. Although sometimes you see a profile of a famous person that's got loads of followers, and then you look at the bio and you only just notice that it says parody. Uh, right, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's probably because they enjoy the parody. They've got the yeah. followers because they like the joke. Yeah. They get the joke. You know. But I, um, yes, in fact, a number of times I've sort of have just tagged people in and what things, and then somebody will say, oh, "I'm I'm not them. I'm just just a real fan. I just follow them all the time." I say, "Well, why don't you? Why are you using their name then?" That's not. It's weird. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, I don't, you know, I think I'm not an expert in these things, but if you wanted to find me, you can certainly find me there. But I do, I do Instagram and Facebook, and that's, I'm not, yeah. I've not got into to the editing skills of being do, able to do TikTok yet. Yes. But, you know, give me time, give me time. <laughs> oh, we'll look forward to when that does come. And many thanks for joining us today. It's been great to talk to you. It's lovely to talk to you. Thanks very much. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Toby Gribben Show!